0: To Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20 year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken.
1: Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Have you ever been given a leadership opportunity you weren't quite ready for? If you're like most people in leadership positions, I imagine you have. I'm going to share examples of both the right way and the wrong ways to show up in those situations. I'm also going to break down the critical mindsets and actions for you to truly support someone you work with, both in their professional aspirations, but also in their personal struggles that impact them at work. We're going to do this in an epic two-parter, the final episode of the fourth season and the first episode of the fifth season of The Next Generation, Redemption, parts one and two. Quick note on how this is going to happen. This is a two-parter that has a lot going on in it. I'm going to recap it all as one story, mixing up things from the two parts when they come together. Lots to recap in this one, but I want to focus our time on the deep, deep, and even kind of contradictory leadership lessons in this one. So let's dive in. Earlier in this fourth season of The Next Generation, Gowron was determined to be the Chancellor of the Klingon High Council. Captain Picard, because of his involvement in all of that, and the honor he showed the High Council before, was named the Arbiter of Succession, tasked with ensuring everything was done the way it was supposed to be done, leading to a smooth transition of power. Well, that is not how things turn out.
0: We will have to move quickly if we are to be successful in preventing a Klingon
1: civil war. The Duras family, who are also in the running to be the next chancellor, have been working hard behind the scenes and have been getting families and houses in their pockets. We meet Lursa and Bator, the Duras sisters. They have one heck of a run through TNG. They've found and introduced a new heir of their father, Toral.
0: I will challenge him. Who are you? I am Toral, son of Duras.
1: And are claiming his birthright challenges Gauron. Understanding the gravity of the situation, Picard talks to Worf. Late in the third season of the series, he received a discommendation from the High Council, shaming his name and his houses. We touched on this in the 69th episode of the podcast when we watched The Mind's Eye. Well, Picard sees this as an opportunity for Worf to get this overturned and get his honor back. Isn't it time to confront the council? To regain your family name? Worf meets with his brother, Kern, and lays out the plan. They're going to lay back, avoid any commitments, and wait for Gowron to be in big trouble. At the last moment, they'll come in, save the day, on the condition that he restore their family's honor. Your forces are weak,
0: Galron. You need help to fight the family of Duras.
1: Kern doesn't like this. He wants to go after Gauron himself. Gauron is weak. Our leaders have failed us. They no longer deserve our loyalty. But he eventually agrees to follow Worf's lead. As the battle lines begin to be drawn we see that the Duras sisters have not been working alone. No, their planning, their cunning, isn't quite what we've come to expect from Klingons. And Picard has suspicions early on. Begin monitoring Romulan activity along the neutral zone, Mr. Data. The sisters invite Picard to meet with them and try to convince him that the Duras claim is valid. Very much, again, not the Klingon way of attacking an issue head on. In fact,
0: You have manipulated the circumstances with the skill of
1: and that's exactly what's been going on. As all this is becoming clear, the attacks start. Duras loyalists attack Gowron's ship. A second ship is joining the attack on the Bortas. It's begun. They ask for help from the Enterprise, but Picard orders the ship away and not to engage. This is an internal matter, and the Federation aiding in any way could pull them into an all-out war with the Klingons. But Worf's brother, Kern, comes through as planned. In Gowron's darkest moment, the brothers Moog make the save.
0: This is Captain Kern of the Hector. We come to defend the Empire and to follow the Battle of Gowron.
1: Back on the planet, Picard as the Arbiter of Succession, reaffirms Gowron as High Chancellor. He immediately restores Worf's family honor and all is good in the world. I return your family honor. At least for Starfleet. It's still a dumpster fire, though, for the Klingons. Worf wants an extended leave of absence, but Picard needs him on board. At least at least he says he does. More on that later. Worf decides to resign his commission, and he leaves the Enterprise and signs on with Gowron. The crew of the Enterprise line the corridor as he walks to the transporter. Attention on deck. It's a beautiful scene as he's off to fight in the Civil War. Picard heads to Starbase 234, and tries to convince Starfleet to get involved in this conflict. He knows that it's not just the Klingons, and that the Romulans are involved. He sees the intergalactic implications here.
0: But if the Duras are being aided by the Romulans, it becomes very much our concern.
1: And eventually, they agree to let him run a blockade to expose the supply lines between the Klingons and Romulans. Seeing the mobilization of a Federation fleet the Romulans decide to appeal directly to Picard. In
0: the meantime, we'll have to convince Captain Picard he
1: should leave. And this is not the Romulan you might have been expecting. We don't get Ambassador Jakar. (laughs) Oh, yes! Or, sorry, I mean Tomalak. No, we get Sela. Who is Sela? you might be asking? Well, so does Picard. It's not every day that you meet a blonde Romulan played by Denise Crosby. She says that back in the episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, which no one on the Enterprise, today's Enterprise, remembers because it was from a different timeline that intersects with this timeline because, you know, temporal time travel stuff. I'm Delmar Luxley, Department of Temporal Investigations. But back in that episode, Tasha Yar went back in time with the Enterprise C to fight and lose a battle with the Romulans at Narendra 3. When the other timeline became this timeline, don't don't worry, we'll get to that episode eventually. It won't make a lot more sense, but 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 when they get back to that battle, just just follow me here. When they get back to that battle, the Enterprise is defeated and Yar, along with a few others, are captured. Some Romulan dude took a liking to her, basically offered that if they hook up, he'd spare the rest of the crew, and as a result, Sila was born.
0: My name is Commander Sela woman you knew as Tasha Yar was my mother
1: eventually Yar had enough of it she tried to peace out but they killed her now Sela is a master manipulator with an axe to grind against humanity and the Federation who that's a lot okay but she's not able to convince Picard to back out so the plan continues he gets 23 ships and they're going to form a big old tacky on net deploy the fleet well it's time to spread on net When a cloaked ship moves through that net, it's cloak will be disabled and the Romulans will be implicated in helping the Duras and everything, (laughs) everything will work out just fine. Well, the ships are kind of a ragtag little fleet. Some of the ships don't have full crews or captains and a few are still in dry dock for repairs, upgrades, or outright construction. So they use the tools that are available. Picard sends Riker and LaForge to command one of the ships, and some crew to augment the others. Data's pretty upset that he wasn't selected to command a ship, though. I'm confused.
0: Why have I not been assigned to command a ship in the fleet, sir?
1: So Picard has him command the Sutherland, a dry docked ship that's not at all spaceworthy yet. And in the meantime, the war is not going well for Gowron. Not win. we must withdraw. The Romulan support is really tipping the scales. There's a cool scene where a bunch of Klingons are drinking, playing games, roughhousing, you know, just being Klingons. It comes out that both Gowron and Duras loyalists are here, but they say that they are Klingons and warriors first. When they meet in battle, they'll tear each other's hearts out, but until then, they are Klingon.
0: Gonna drink with you, Kern. May you die well.
1: It's a very non-Romulan way of handling all this, wouldn't you think? Well, with attacking on net in place and the Romulans deciding how to get past it, the Duras forces are on their own and Galron is gaining an upper hand. The Duras are nearing defeat. Selah sees a gap in the net, an opportunity, and decides to go for it. She knows if they don't get through, the Duras will be defeated. In an involved storyline about how Data chooses to command the Sutherland that we'll break down in the command code section, he does some cool stuff, catches the Romulans as they come across, and they're exposed. They've discovered us. They retreat back into Romulan space, and the Duras, on their own, escape or are arrested, and the war is over. Picard reports out on everything that happened to the Klingon High Council. The Duras sisters got away, but they left Tyral behind to take the heat. Gowron offers his life to Worf because of all the dishonor the Duras have done to Worf and his family. But Worf decides to spare his life, saying that killing him might be the Klingon way. But it is not my way. At Worf's request, Picard reinstates him into Starfleet, and we're back to business as usual. This was an epic two-parter. Two very different episodes that stand on their own but tell a great story. In my opinion, they were pretty off balance with the first episode kind of slow playing the Klingon stuff, and the second part cramming that, plus the Sela stuff, plus the Data's Captain stuff in. Some of those things could have carried an entire episode on their own. But at the time, this was such an important episode in the world building of the Klingons. We get a lot of Worf's development, and so many of the things that we take for granted is the way that Klingons simply are came to be in this episode.
0: Cut the course, course is Come to fun. Come right now, don't
1: water run! In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool... Visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy.
0: Are you a leader? A Star Trek fan? Do you love the lessons and strategies taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy podcast? Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store to get shirts, mugs, and other great merchandise to show off where you have learned all the great strategies and lessons that are taught on the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit jeffakin.com forward slash store or click on the link in the show notes to support the podcast and look good doing it. I do carry
1: a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Interestingly, Gene Roddenberry hated the idea for these episodes. He didn't want stories about war, and he didn't see Worf as a central character. Luckily for us, at this point in the franchise, he didn't really have a say in stuff like this. This gave us a lot of Klingon culture that today, we just kind of take for granted. Headbutting, drinking with your enemies, and then trying to kill them later. But it even had some great callbacks to previous Klingon stuff. We get
0: 35,000 Kellycams
1: in this one and 2000 Kellycams in Star Trek 3 to search for Spock. I thought that was cool. And because of the way this podcast works, we get a callback to a past Starfleet Leadership Academy episode that is a future TNG episode. In Unification Part 1, the episode ends with the reveal of Mr. Spock. It's a pretty amazing moment. And you can track that back in the 18th episode of this podcast. In Redemption, the first episode ends with the reveal of Sila. And humans have a way of showing up when you least expect them. The lighting and reveal were almost beat for beat the same. Also interestingly, Unification Part 2 was Sila's swan song. So a cool kind of stylistic through line in all of this. There are a few other cool bits of trivia on this one. Former President Ronald Reagan visited the set during filming and compared the Klingons and makeup to, to members of Congress. <laughs> and a lot of the Klingon battle footage was reused from prior episodes and movies. We'll talk about Picard's leadership highs and his low in the command codes. But for this, I loved him as Arbiter. He truly understands Klingon culture.
0: But with due respect to the traditions and laws of this high council, there is no basis for accepting a petition for leadership from a boy who has fought no battles, shed no blood for his people, nor earned honor for
1: himself. And take some real risks to remain respectful and impartial. But so much of the meat in these episodes is Worf and his growth that are going to continue all the way into the third season of Picard. But let's hit some of the highlights. About a season ago, he accepted discommendation from the High Council. I
0: accepted discommendation to protect the Empire. It was Duras' father who betrayed our people to the Romulans at Kittimer, not mine.
1: With Picard's urging... He used this situation to not only get his family's honor back, but also to reveal the truth. It was the Duras that betrayed the Klingons, not his father. This was huge for him. It's so important to Worf to be what he believes a Klingon is. And shedding that discommendation was critical for him. But, and I, I love whenever someone does this to him but he got it rubbed in his face quite a few times that his idea of what it is to be Klingon is far from the truth. Guinan hits him with this while she's actively owning him in a shooting simulation. I've seen you laugh. I like it.
0: Klingons do not laugh. Oh yes they do. Absolutely they do.
1: You don't. And the Duras sisters note it while he's hanging out in the Klingon bar clearly not understanding how Klingon stuff actually works. Worf is not like his brother. If you remember from the season 4 premiere, Family, and the rest of what we've learned about Worf, he was orphaned when the Duras betrayed the Klingons at Kittimer and was raised by humans on Earth. So he has a deep cultural conflict waging inside of him all the time. He has some powerful moments on that journey though. When he leaves the Enterprise he says, and he means, Do hear the cry. Of the warrior. I belong with my people. But his real moment, maybe the peak of his personal development to this point, was at the end of these episodes. The Duras are defeated, the sisters running away, leaving Taral to the council. Galron does what any Klingon in his position would do and gives Taral's life to Worf. It's expected that he kill him, but Worf, Worf refused. But that that wasn't even the peak for him. Remember, he is in front of the High Council, the center of Klingon politics. Everything that happens here is broadcast across the empire. Knowing this, when Gowron tells Worf's brother Kern to kill Tyrol, Worf stops him. No, you gave me his life and I have spared it. He acts not as a Klingon, but as himself. This was huge for him. So much of Worf's growth in this episode, and the impacts of the end of the Civil War, will echo into Deep Space Nine. In fact, we even get to see Toral again, and when the mm, spoiler alert here, just in case you don't know Deep Space Nine, but when the changelings, right? When the changelings disrupt the Klingons once again. But all that—that's a story for some other episodes.
0: Command codes verified.
1: We're gonna do things a little differently in this episode. I'll talk through some of Picard's incredible moments, specifically around his support for both Worf the officer and Worf the person. But beyond that, we have a unique opportunity. Data is given command of a starship and it does not go well. I'll break down his motivations and share where he went wrong. Then I'll kind of flip the script a little bit and show the few small things he could have done differently and that you can do that will really elevate all of you as a leader.
0: The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast.
1: One of the things that makes Picard a great leader is that he coaches, develops, and grows the people he works with. A situation comes up, in this case, a change of power in the Klingon Empire. Because Picard has taken the time to connect with the people he works with, Worf specifically, He sees this as more than just a moment, more than just a situation. He sees opportunity in it for Worf. He knows that his discommendation has been weighing on him and limiting his growth as an officer, so he goes out of his way to support him. Worf picks up on what he's doing, and Picard is all in on supporting him.
0: I request a leave of absence. Mr. Worf, request
1: granted. What I find fascinating here, and the first real takeaway for us, is that this hurt Picard. It would have been so much easier to keep him on board, lean on his tactical expertise and his cultural knowledge. Picard knows they're heading in for a rough go and Worf could be a massive, huge asset for him. But he lets him go anyway. Picard understands a fundamental bit of arithmetic that you also need to understand. Having Worf in the short term will cost him in the long term. He can withstand a temporary loss of expertise, ultimately letting others on the team step up and fill that gap to help Worf be even better in the future. Like, it's literally having him at like 70% now so you can have him at 40% in the future as opposed to having him at 10% now, I I say 10% because He's still out there doing stuff. He's still helping the cause, but you can have him at 10% now. So you can have him as close to 100% as possible in the future. I mean, this, this is the message too often. I work with managers that deny a development opportunity for someone because of an immediate need that is so short sighted. Not only are you costing them opportunities, but when you shut those requests down, you're opening the door to building resentment, and that, that my friends, is no good. Now, Picard's support ends up going to an extreme. I order you to return to
0: duty at once. Then I resign my commission as a Starfleet
1: officer. In my head, headcanon, this was part of Picard's master plan. He knew Worf needed to go fight, but he also had to maintain his command. So he set up the situation, commanding him back to duty, to force him to resign. I like to think that he figured either what happened would happen, or it would all go to hell and it wouldn't matter anyway. Either way, Picard knew that if Worf didn't go all the way with this, it would weigh on him forever. The skills here are understanding sacrifice, right? What skills and abilities that you can give up now to get a gain in the future. And knowing your team well enough To know when an opportunity is this important. A core skill of effective leaders is creating and casting vision. We talked about that in the 80th episode of the podcast when we watched discoveries into the forest I go. But you can use that exact same skill to look into the future to see the potential benefits and importance of opportunities. You do this and believe me, your team will all benefit from it. One more thought. On Picard showing up like this for Worf. Giving someone an opportunity for growth and development is not giving them carte blanche. It's not a free pass to do whatever they want. Picard is faced with Worf pushing the boundaries, arguably pushing right past them, so he reinforces them. You're using our files on the Kitama massacre
0: as evidence against Duras' father. Yes, sir. Do you not see an inherent conflict of interest here?
1: This is me telling you, empowering you to do the same. Have clear boundaries around what is and is not acceptable. Hold people accountable. Now, notice I said accountable. Picard did not punish Worf, and he ultimately problem solved a way for him to have access to the information, but he reminded him of the rules and the values that they're working under. Okay, let's get to the fun stuff in this one. Wow. What an awesome storyline, especially for us. Now here's the deal. Okay, let's break it down. Picard and crew are putting together this small fleet to cast a Tachyon net to detect cloaked Romulan ships. A good chunk of these ships aren't fully crewed or even put all the way together with a literal boatload of experienced crew. The enterprise fills out the crew complements to get the mission done. Riker and LaForge fill in for the command team of one of the ships and Data gets upset. His understanding is that he's being trained and given experience that will ultimately give him the opportunity for command. So when a development opportunity comes up, he flexes his self-advocacy muscles and ends up getting a ship. I believe my 26 years of Starfleet service qualifies me for such a post. I believe the
0: starship Sutherland will need a captain. I think of no one better suited for that task than you.
1: Thank you, sir. Here's some important things to keep in mind before we dive in. First, Data has been trained in leadership and he has observed leaders and commanders in action. Second, this is a short-term mission with well-defined goals and the stakes are very high. I point these out because things do not go well. By order of Starfleet, I hereby take command of this vessel. Please note the time and date in the ship's log. He comes in swinging some heavy hammer energy from go. By the book, no niceties, just right to it. And if I'm being fair, that's not bad, right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Like I said, clearly defined, short-term goals, very high stakes. But his first interaction should have been a clue to what's coming. He meets his first officer, Lieutenant Commander Hobson. Hobson quickly reveals himself to be quite
0: the bigot. No one would suggest that a Klingon would be a good ship's counselor, that a Borellian could be an engineer. They're just not suited for those positions. By the same token, I
1: don't think an android is a good choice to be captain. And wants nothing to do with an android as his captain. I'd like to request a transfer. I understand your concerns. (laughs) Request denied. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. There is absolutely... 100% an argument to be made that Data owes Hobson nothing. He's outed as a dude with massive biases. And as Captain Kirk showed us back in Balance of Terror.
0: Well, here's one thing you can be sure of, mister. Leave any bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. Do I make myself clear?
1: But on the other hand, he's short on people. Hobson knows the ship and the crew and Data is here learning to be a leader. Now, generally speaking, I'm not one to shut someone out because they have errors in their thinking, at least not right away. Instead of just punishing someone for being a racist or a bigot, as a leader, I try to help them see things differently. Data had an opportunity to show him androids could be effective leaders, and he failed. Now, the show will tell you otherwise. Like They will give you the moment with Hobson respecting him and Picard saying things we'll touch on in a bit. But what data actually did was validate Hobson's bigotry. He believed androids were incapable of effective leadership. And that's exactly what data demonstrated. Now, please don't hear me say that bigotry, racism, biases are okay. What I'm saying is that as a leader, we have opportunities to help correct that thinking. If we are not successful in that, yes, you take action but don't come at it right away and close a door to people it's closed doors that force people into well not the best actions so acknowledging data's actions here from this point forward he literally takes every opportunity to drop the ball
0: you have taken the phaser and torpedo control units offline keith you and i will start bringing mr Huffman, radi- it is inappropriate for you to determine a course of action without consulting your commanding officer belay those orders everyone what should we do, sir? You will take the phaser and torpedo units
1: offline and begin repairs of the starboard power coupling. Thank you, sir. Do you see what happened here? He literally told Hobson that he was incapable of doing his job independently. I mean, he not only did the taking credit for someone else's work thing, a lot of bad managers do, but he did it blatantly in front of everyone. It was ridiculous. He doubles down on this as he just spouts commands from the chair. Do it. Bottom line, if this dude was working for me, there's a good chance he wouldn't be in this job come Monday. So the deal, the mission here, is that they are to assume a position and be a part of the Tachyon Net. Like I talked about in the recap, plan goes south so Picard orders the fleet to regroup and reconsider. Data not only ignores the order, but refuses to communicate with anyone about it. He doesn't respond to Picard's hails, and when his crew tries to figure out what's going on, he hits him with, I am aware of the difficulties. Please bring the phasers back online. Totally blowing them off and ignoring them. Now, this has all been really bad, but here's where it actually falls apart for me, especially because this next thing is used to forgive his abuse of his crew. At one point, the Romulans blast a thing that disrupts the tachyon net. Without saying a word, Data gets up, goes to a console and does his normal job from the enterprise. He's analyzing the blast and cross-referencing other technologies. The stuff he does in every single episode in his regular job. Hobson even sits by him to try and figure out what he's doing. He tells him in disrupting the detection that the Romulans may have caused a residual tachyon signature to form around their own ships. And then he just starts barking orders. Now at this point, You could say this was a crisis situation and he just had to get stuff done, but there were huge swaths of time where he was just sitting there silent while people did what he told them to just, just two lines explaining high level what the plan is and we're good, but no, I mean, Picard hails him and asks him what he's up to. And data just tells him, stand by bro, communicate just. I do not have time to go into details, but they have left themselves open to detection. We are going to fire low-yield torpedoes to expose them. I mean, it's that simple, right? But we get none of that until the exact moment when it all has to happen and Hobson is arguing with data because he doesn't understand what and why they're doing what they're doing. They end up firing the torpedoes, exposing the Romulans and winning the day with Hobson calling data captain as a term of respect, but oh, oh, I hated this so much. Yes, data saved the day, but he didn't do it as a leader. Nothing, nothing he did was leadership. If he'd been on the enterprise, he would have done the exact same thing in his normal position. Data, my friend. Data, you are an abject failure as a leader in this episode, and I will fight Jean-Luc Picard on that point. Well, we'll get to why here in a few, but before that, I want to break down what Data did here. Data played through leadership scenarios that he had seen countless times. High stakes, limited time and resources. He's seen people like Picard bark orders without explanation and stick to a very by-the-book style. He is emulating other great leaders. The problem is that the situations are entirely different. Yes, this is high stakes. Yes, this is a crisis, but they have time to spare. Also, and this is the big one when he saw Picard or others lead in this way, those leaders had the trust and the respect of their crew. Data set this entire thing up as a conflict from go and then acted as if he had a trusting and solid relationship with everyone. To avoid this in your work, communicate. Tell people your plan, what your vision is. Now, you don't have to compose a speech or have a PowerPoint. You don't even need to open the floor to ideas or debate. But you do have to explain what you are doing and why it will be effective. Five, maybe ten seconds. That's it. Had Data done that, he still wouldn't have been a great leader, but he wouldn't have been deserving of discipline. And that brings me to Picard. Data is very aware of what he did and that it wasn't right. Although the result of my actions proved positive, the ends cannot justify the means. He submitted himself for disciplinary action and this was the right thing to do. This moment was leadership for data taking the hit, when you're wrong, but Picard Picard says to him, the
0: claim I was only following orders has been used to justify too many tragedies in our history.
1: Now, don't get me wrong here. I get it right. He's consoling data, even teaching him. And those are good things, but data was wrong. The means he used were not only inappropriate, but abusive period full stop. Now I'm not calling for him to be strung up or discharged or demoted. But there needs to be clear feedback. More than a simple, yes, and then moving into consoling. Data needed to hear, you're right, the ends do not justify the means. What you did, the way you led your team was inappropriate and unacceptable. But the claim that I was only following orders, blah, blah, blah. After that, then you build them up. Then you teach him from the positive things that happened. This was a real missed opportunity for both Picard and Data. But Luckily, it's not a missed opportunity for you. Don't let your own whatever get in the way of leading a team. Just like Picard knew when to get out of the way for Worf, Data should begin understanding when to get out of the way of the experts. You should as well. Do not be... The subject matter expert like data was here be the leader and enable your teams to do amazing things back in the middle of june 2023 i was a guest on the hit or miss star trek podcast to talk about this very episode mike is a great host and a huge star trek fan he had me and Sandra Evenson on to talk about this two-parter. It's a great listen that you can catch wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. That's hit or miss a Star Trek podcast. Check it out now and let me know what you thought about it on Twitter or Mastodon, at SFLA Podcast. And I'm on Instagram too, at Jeff T. Akin. That's Jeff, T is in Tural, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we gonna watch next time? The fourth episode of the first season of Lower Decks, Moist Vessel. I've heard it said that the word moist is one of the most distressing words to hear in the English language. And yeah, can't really argue with that. Luckily, I don't think I'll need to say it too much. The thing I really remember about this episode is a crew member achieving spiritual ascension, allowing us to learn about the universe and what it has in common with a koala. Yeah, there's going to be that and so much more in the next episode. So until then, ex Astra scientia! Hey Brent, have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? mean, that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it! Babylon 5, for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5, for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. Electricast